Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Koslowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. And same applies to any professional who may appear on the OG Therapy Podcast. Welcome to the OG Therapy Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of OG Therapy. As always, I'm your host, David, and today I'm riding solo. Don't have a teenager with me today. Don't have my OGs with me. I will have someone next with next week with me, I guarantee you that. However, today I'm going to give you something that is always on conversations with parents. I hear this daily in some way, shape, or form. I don't think this topic or this issue, unfortunately, is going to be uh, going away anytime soon. In fact, if there's any indication of the current temperature of the teenagers and the young people I work with, it's most likely still trending upward and going to be trending upward for quite some time, which is why I chose to do this topic today for the podcast. Now, what sparked this was I heard um, a quote on a podcast recently, in fact, about a week or two ago, sometime over the holidays, and I just made a little mental note and I wrote it down on my phone and said, you know what? I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into this topic because, like I said, it's a very common topic that comes up. And this topic has to do with a victim mentality, more specifically with youth. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up my handy uh, device here. And I picked, um, looked through a couple articles online, and I found one from Science of the People that says victim mentality, signs, causes, and 10 ways to break the cycle. I wanna first off by, I wanna start off by focusing on what is victim mentality, then the difference between victim mentality and being an actual victim. Then I'm gonna read down uh, a pretty good list of different things that can cause and create victim mentality, but I'm really just gonna focus on two because this article wasn't made specifically for young people, for kids and teenagers or young adults. It was made for the general population. In fact, it was was mostly kind of geared towards just human beings in general. And I think there is a difference between teens and young kids with their victim mentality and some of the causes for that based upon, or versus if you're an adult and you've lived a much longer life and you've had more experiences to develop such mentality. So let's go ahead and start off with talking a little bit about what is victim mentality. Now, what I'm gonna do is I don't, Gosh, I don't know if I've done this in a long time. I'm just going to read from this verbatim. And then after that, I'm going to weigh in and elaborate and give some of my own, um, my own professional insights on this. So it says, what is a victim mentality? Victim mentality is a learned behavior. Very important. We'll come back to that in a little bit. In individuals who believe they have no control over their life because they think nothing they do will matter. They tend to think bad things are always bound to happen to them and others are usually to blame. People with a victim mentality often feel powerless without agency and lack accountability in their lives. Now, now I'm going to give you the difference between what they just said and this separates victim mentality from actual being a victim. The difference between having a victim mentality and being an actual victim is that an actual victim's reality is based on real actions that have happened to them. Whereas a victim mentality is based on a perceived reality that something is going to happen to them based on their past experiences, either real or perceived experiences. Now, I also want to go over signs of victim mentality to add to that. 
The signs of victim mentality manifest in individuals, thoughts and actions in various ways, from self-pity to cynicism. These are the signs to look out for paired with victim mentality quotes to help you recognize the possible signs in yourself and others. So the first one, negative self-talk or self-pity. Uh, the example they use is, it will never, I never do anything right. The second one, pessimism about the future. It will never work out. Third, fears of being taken advantage of. Bad things have happened before, so they will inevitably happen again. Envious of others. If only I had money like he or she does. Ruminates on past bad experiences. She was the worst boss. Struggles to enjoy the good. Summer is great, but it sucks because winter is coming. Lack of empathy. Oh, you think you have it bad? What about all the stuff I'm going through? Afraid of any risk. I can't do that. Something bad always happens when I try. Disinterested in solutions. There's nothing, can, there's nothing that can be done. Rejects feedback or support. I can't do that. It'll never work. Lacks trust in others. No one understands. Therefore, I can never trust anyone. Cynical towards others' motives. People are always out to get me. Narcissistic. Pay attention to my problems. You should feel sorry for me. Now, I'm also going to go over causes of victim mentality. And this is the part where I'm going to pick a couple of things out of here that I want to focus on because I think it's more relevant for youth. And obviously this podcast, I focus more on how us as parents can help youth or how youth can help themselves and even sometimes help their parents be better parents. So causes of victim mentality. The root cause behind a victim mentality stems from a breakdown or betrayal of trust, which most often occurs in situations where people have experienced or been exposed to. So the first one they talk about is traumatic experiences, leading to strong emotional reactions that reoccur over time. So if someone's had traumatic experiences, obviously victim mentality is something that could be that could develop and can manifest over time. Painful or stressful situations that lead people to react different in the future. Exploitation of emotion, energy, personhood, or security causing a lack of trust. Unfair treatment or lack of respect that makes people feel less than they are. Social rejection makes people feel unwanted or questions others. Unhealthy relationships where there tends to be a lack of boundaries and evidence of codependence. Threat avoidance as a means to cope with potential pain. Extensive media exposure to trauma, exploitation, or violence where people may not have a great or may not have a direct connection with trauma, but develop a sense of victimhood from the indirect exposure. So the ones I want to focus on now, I realize when I work with youth that many of them have had traumatic experiences. But I want to focus on more of the general topic because most people that come and talk to me, good parents, good people, and they're telling me, hey, listen, my kid acts like a victim. Or I've noticed all these kids nowadays act like victim and victims. And they, they spread this message or they share this message with me like this is a society-wide problem. And there's an argument to that. Uh, but they make it more specific. Like I see this actions, I see this behavior in my kid and I see it in other kids. And so everybody must just be entitled. Uh, they must just have uh, their parents not, you know, being hard enough on them. And so because of that, that's what's leading to this victim mentality. So my disclaimer of this is that just because your kid and you know your kid, you know if your kid's been through trauma or there's always the exception. You may not know if they've been through trauma, but let's say typical uh, child, preteen, teenage situation, haven't had any traumas. None of those things are on board. Um, this is the topic and this is the scenario that I want to focus on. For those people, I want to focus on the social rejection, 
unhealthy relationships and um, extensive media exposure. So more specifically on um, a, a painful or stressful situations. Guys, I said two, there's actually four that I want to talk about in here. So it says painful or stressful situations that lead people to react different in the future. Now, it's kind of a general thing to say stressful or painful or stressful situations for kids and for teenagers. The reason why I say that is because if you ask a lot of teenagers, they may describe as going to school, waking up early in the morning, doing homework, um, being on time to class, all those situations, they may say that's painful or stressful. Some arguments from parents I've heard has been like, well, that's your job. I go to my job and I gotta wake up in the morning and I gotta do this, so you gotta go to school and do your thing. Well, depending on your job, if you don't like your job, it could be painful, it could be very stressful. But for teenagers, their pain and their stress is a little bit differently, is a little bit different because they don't necessarily have the exposure to, you know, they got to take care of other people, they got to pay bills, stuff like that. So painful or stressful situations is something that I've seen in lots of teenagers that they'll express to me that they're in pain. Usually their pain is coming from discomfort. Usually their stress is coming from responsibility, um, timelines things that they're um, supposed to be accountable for, uh, apologizing, owning up to behaviors or things and mistakes that they've done. These are painful and stressful things. Now, unfair treatment or lack of respect that makes people feel less than they are. This is another one. This is one of those things where it all depends on the person. Some kids out there are gonna be more sensitive to criticism and people talking to them in a negative or harsh way. Of course, some are gonna be more than others. So unfair treatment, that's another one. So, so far we got painful or stressful situations and unfair treatment. Third one, social, reject, social rejection makes people feel unwanted or question others. Social rejection for teenagers and kids, this is huge. You've been following the podcast, you know social is kind of my thing. And when I say my thing, it's my thing because it's been my client's thing. And the reason why it's been my client's thing is because we're social creatures. And because we're social creatures, we depend upon social interactions and relationships for our survival, end of story, end of sentence, period. We need social relationships, mutually benefiting relationships where we feel that we offer something, we're valuable, other people offer things to our lives, they're valuable to us. So we get into these social contracts, even at a very young age. It could be a social contract on a sports team. It's like, we all agree that if we're gonna play on this team together, we all have to show up, we all have to come to practice, we all have to get better together so our team can be successful. That's a social contract in and of itself. But with playing sports, that's a great example because there's a lot of uncomfortable moments, especially if your sport is something where a lot of people are gonna be watching or if there can be physical pain from that. The next one I wanna focus on is unhealthy relationships. In this article, it says unhealthy relationships where there tends to be a lack of boundaries and evidence of codependency. I typically focus on more of the social and the friend ones a lot more. But as a clinician, as a practicing, you know, marriage and family therapist, I meet with lots of parents and lots of kids, lots of good parents, good people. But I notice somehow they've developed a very codependent and very enmeshed relationships. So one of the most common ways I see this like show itself in, in therapy and when I'm when I'm working with families is that parents are stressed, they're busy, they have multiple responsibilities. 
in their mind, they're like, hey, I've laid out all the plans for the day, uh, what my kid is supposed to do. They're supposed to do this, do that, very basic things. Grab your backpack, fill up your water bottle, don't forget your jacket, stuff like this. On the way to school, mom or dad or whoever's taking the kids to school, they find out that either none of those things were done or a couple important things were, were left behind, were neglected. Parent sees a habit of these things happening over and over again. And so at that particular moment, the parent gets upset. They come unglued. Ah, how many times do I have to tell you? Why do you always forget your water bottle? By the way, these are not real questions. These are not questions that you actually want your kid to answer because it's a trap question. You're saying, why do you always forget your water bottle? If your kid's like, well, I don't always forget. Well, you do it most of the time. An argument can ensue pretty quickly. So when there is a difficulty in the co when there's difficulty in the relationship, sometimes codependency can come out of this and parents don't even know that their kids have a codependent relationship with them and they have a codependent relationship with their kids. They don't even know sometimes that there's a meshment going on because, you know, on the outside, it just looks like their kids not doing what they tell them to do. On the inside, the difficulties in the relationship stem deeper than the surface could possibly expose. An example of this, I've worked with many families, but one particular family I'm thinking of a long time ago, probably over a decade ago, so I don't have to worry about confidentiality too much. This particular family, they came to me, they had a daughter. This daughter was very emotionally unstable. This daughter of theirs was, I don't know, probably pretty younger teenagers, like 14, 15 years old, probably like a freshman or a, a sophomore in high school. And they had a very unique codependent relationship. The mom was codependent on her daughter because the mom was needing her daughter to be in a good mood for the mom's rest of the day to be able to be complete. The mom, it was such an extreme situation that the mom was like, man, if my daughter wakes up and she's on one and she's grumpy and irritable, everything falls apart. Right when the day starts, I'm ready to give up. I don't even want to do any of my responsibilities, mom. And, you know, the mom, she struggled with her own depression herself. And so the codependency for the mom was that she was codependent upon her daughter being happy for her to be happy. When the daughter started to notice this and started to pick up on this pattern, the daughter started to manipulate this. And manipulation, that's another tool inside of the victim uh, mentality. Manipulation is something that people that, you know, really get stuck in this, in this victim mentality, they start to notice that they can actually control situations a lot more effectively if they are a victim. So with this mom and this daughter, the mom started to pick up on this too. She started to notice that the daughter was making bigger issues of things on days that she didn't want to go to school. There's, I think it was like eight days at her school. She's like eight days were the worst. So eight day morning, she'd wake up picking fights, slamming cupboards, being mean to her siblings, just, just like a bull in a china shop, just running around, just knocking things over, right? I don't know why I use that terminology. I don't even really know what that means. It's an old school terminology, but hopefully you guys get what I'm saying. And then with this situation with the mom, the mom knew it was coming. So as a prerequisite, what she'd do is she's like, I'm going to make her a favorite breakfast. I'm going to wake her up with good music. I'm going to do all these things. The mom was bending over backwards to let her daughter, to help her daughter wake up and having the best morning. Well, obviously that was not effective because they were seeing me. If, if that worked, they would have never needed to see me. So what took place was that the mom started to realize that because these things weren't working, she was getting upset and she was getting angry. The mom took it personal. 
She started to feel like, how dare she disrespect me like this? I'm going out of my way. I'm doing all these things just so she can have a good, happy day. One thing that the mom wasn't doing, though, is something that's later on in this list in the article and something that, you know, I've had to help many, many people throughout the years. And this does not happen overnight. What the mom wasn't doing is she wasn't setting firm boundaries that weren't communicated, that she wasn't setting good and firm boundaries with the daughter. And when she did try to set those boundaries, which I said she wasn't doing it in like an effective way, when she did try to set those boundaries, the way she went about setting those boundaries was, let's just say this, (laughs) it was threats that she's going to take something from her daughter, she's going to punish her daughter, and she would actually attempt to do so. And then the daughter would say, oh, yeah, well, two can play that game. I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit more. So then the daughter's behavior became more extreme. Well, the mom's bluff was called, or as I like to call it, the mom's argument or confrontational cardio did not compare to her daughter. Her daughter could argue and fight and scream and have meltdowns and cry till the cows came home. The mom had other kids, didn't have enough energy, just couldn't stay in that situation. So the mom would try to set boundaries, but it was very personal. Like, I'm going to take this away from you. I'm going to do this. You've been taking advantage of me. I'm tired of this. I've dealt with this all week long. Well, the mom figured out that if she would establish those boundaries, like let's say at the beginning of a quarter, beginning of the semester. And then when the daughter broke the boundaries, if the mom was to stay calm and collective and say, okay, well, you know that if by the end of the week, if uh, you don't go to school, you know, if you have too many absences, uh, too many tardies, by the way, this daughter and the mom are doing my parent-teen partnership agreement. And so the mom said, you know, if what the mom wasn't doing, it was wasn't saying, hey, if you don't do these things at the end of the week, um, you're going to lose your phone. You're not going to be able to hang out with friends over the weekend. Instead, the mom was taking the approach where she was trying to do anything to keep her daughter from blowing up all week long. And at the end of the week, mom would lose her cool, come out of character, get super angry and upset, yell at the daughter, say mean things to her that the daughter would then turn around and use against the mom and manipulate the mom and make her feel bad. Uh, The mom, out of frustration, not a bad mom, in fact, a very good mom, but out of frustration, the mom would say things like, you're so lucky that I don't beat you because I was beaten. You're so lucky that you have these things. How dare you talk to me like that? If I were to talk to my parents like that, I would have got my blankety blank whooped. The mom was saying how this daughter was lucky, lucky, and she was doing everything for her. But what the mom wasn't doing is she wasn't saying, here's the rule. You break the rule. Here's the natural consequence, and it's nothing personal. So when I read this part about the the victim mentality, and I started looking into it, I started to kind of like look at what other people are reading about it. Because I know what I see as a practitioner. I know what I see as a therapist. And it's pretty easy for me to articulate. But I thought, let me read this out loud to other people and that you guys can go visit those articles and really start looking up this up, looking up this yourself. Because I like to look up words when I'm using the word all the time. I found a long time ago to stop and think, let me make sure I'm using it correctly. And then I started to, well, at that time, it was long ago. I wasn't Googling anything because Google didn't exist. I was looking up in dictionaries. And to my surprise, every time I looked up a word that I was using all the time or my clients were using all the time, we were able to look at it and have a discussion about the definition. And there was these little nuances and nuggets of information that stood out that I was overlooking or things that I didn't really even consider at that moment. 
So I want you guys to look this up yourself, and I want you to go to this website, and I'll I'll quote it again before the end of uh before the end of the podcast. But the one thing I was I was really focusing on today is that saying, and it says victimhood or victim mentality vindicates laziness. Let's be honest, parents. What's one of the things? that bugs and irritates you the most when you've been working your butt off, you've been doing everything for your kids, you've been sponsoring everything that they do. I was at my son's jujitsu practice the other day and this mom I talked to all the time, she's like, my son got his uh, yellow belt. She's so excited. I'm like, oh, you're so proud of him. She's like, I should get a belt too. I go, why? She's I'm the one who paid for it. She had a baby here. She had a baby in the stroller. She was, I mean, this mom had her hands full. She's like, I should get a belt. I should get a trophy because I was the one who drove him here every single day so he could get that yellow belt. And I thought about it and I laughed. I'm like, that's so true. She probably should probably give the parents a belt or some sort of trophy. And that victim mentality, that that thing that um that like our 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 kids are thinking that we are doing something to them that we're taking something away from them it doesn't have to feel as a punishment it doesn't have to feel like they are being a victim if we don't if we make it personal so if we don't make it personal they're going to get the boundary they're going to get the consequence but they don't get a reaction from us this is key parents look at your body language your facial expressions now, I wouldn't go as far as saying that you have to video record yourself next time you talk to your kids, but I think you should do a video journal, which means pull out your cell phone, turn it away from you so it's not like selfie mode and you're looking at it. I want you to look at the back of the camera. And after a confrontation with your kid or you know, when you want to just blow up on your kid, I want you to put on airplane mode and I want you to start talking to your phone. And I want you to look at the phone after you have talked about how frustrated with your kid you are, how much of a victim you feel like they are. I want you to look at that recording and I want you to pay close attention to your facial expressions, just your overall demeanor and your body language. Now, I want you to look at that video and I want you to realize that if that's the parent that's trying to tell them or trying to set boundaries with them or trying to uh, teach them something, they're not going to get the message. Victims are looking for other people to do them wrong. They're looking for more betrayal. They're looking for things that can can validate that they can't trust other people, that they can't try, that they can't take risks, that they can't be uncomfortable, that they have to hold on to anything that makes them feel comfortable. Hence the saying, victim mentality vindicates laziness. So the thing I was getting at that most people, most parents hate just as much as anything else is when their kids are lazy. You didn't put all this time and attention into raising them just to teach them that they don't have to work hard they don't have to be uncomfortable they don't have to do anything that pushes them outside their comfort zone my issue with parents when i say issue i'm not mad or like complaining at parents my issue with this behavior that parents usually do is you're robbing your kids from learning the lesson you're trying to teach them if you make these things personal if you try to address the codependency uh or I want you to address the codependency with your kid. If, you re- if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, man, maybe I do have a little bit of a codependent relationship, meaning I'm dependent upon them for being happy for me to have a good day, and they're dependent upon me to give them everything they want so they could have a good day. That's a codependent relationship, right? I know I've counseled lots of people like the wife is codependent on the husband that he doesn't drink alcohol. 
and the and the husband is codependent on the wife or dependent upon the wife or he's dependent upon alcohol. So the wife's dependent on him not drinking, he's dependent upon alcohol to feel better. So this is a this is not a good relationship. This is a relationship that's bound to fail. And same thing with parent and teenage relationships or kids relationships. So you're gonna have to set boundaries. They're gonna have to be clear, but they cannot be personal. In order to make a change your child's victim mentality, you don't want to apologize for anything that your child um, does or asks or requests. So if your child's saying like, um, you know, like, you know, you're being mean to me because you wouldn't let me go to my friends. Don't say, well, I'm sorry that I'm being mean to you because I won't let you go to your friends. One, that's condescending. So that's going to come across as very, you know, it's going to upset them. But even if you're trying to do it in a sincere way, I don't want you to be like, you know, I'm sorry that I couldn't let you go hang with your friends, but you realize that your homework is available or you, you have to do your homework, not your homework's available, <laughs> that you have to do your homework right now. The reason why I don't want you to apologize is because apology is interpreted that you have something that you've done wrong. This is not the language you want to use. And you don't want to validate their victim mentality either. Now, this is what I realize what I'm trying to tell you guys is a very like it's this Goldilocks. It's like it's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's not coddling them and trying to run to their rescue and make their life you know, comfortable for them every single second of the day. But it's also not making it personal, which was more of a shameful response, more of like, got to, you know, take a pound of flesh from them to, to make them feel it. By the way, that's just a joke, just a metaphor. Okay? Instead, that middle spot is having boundaries, not apologizing for having boundaries, not apologizing that they can't do things. And then on top of it, you do not want to be manipulated. You don't want to be in a situation where you're too predictable. If you get angry every single time your kid is angry, you're predictable, easily manipulated. See, what gets manipulated is emotions. Your emotions go up and down. They'll change. If your child is upset that they can't get what they want when they want it, well, if they keep on giving that emotional reaction, if they keep on saying that they're a victim, if they keep on showing that they're you know, unmotivated to do anything unless it's exactly the, they, the way that they want it to be done, well, then what you're doing right there is you're enabling them. You're allowing them to dictate the relationship. You're letting your child drive the car of the family. And they don't, they're not 16. <laughs> Even if they were 16, you don't want them running the family. So in summary, I want you guys to pay attention to a couple different things. Victim mentality is a learned behavior. If it's learned, it can be switched and changed. You can replace it with other behaviors. You can replace it with other patterns and you can be consistent in a different way. It's going to come with a lot of dependency and codependency. In order to avoid codependency with your child, you have to have boundaries that you can actually effectively enforce without it being personal. You don't want boundaries like, I'm gonna take away your phone. And then your kid's like, for how long? For as long as I want till you change your attitude. You're not gonna be able to, that's not a real boundary. That's not a real rule. That's not a real consequence. That's an emotional reaction. Then they're gonna blow up and they're gonna melt down. They're gonna say, you're being mean to me or whatever. Then later on, you're gonna feel bad about it. And they know you're gonna feel bad about it. Then you're gonna come and say, I'm sorry I had to discipline you. Do not apologize. If you apologize, you set yourself up for manipulation. 
If you get angry every single time and make it personal, you set yourself up for manipulation. It is our job to model for our kids. This is hard. This is difficult. If you're listening to this and you said, I've tried this before, David, like it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, you might need to try it a little bit longer. You might need to look yourself in a video journal mirror. I meant what I said, guys. I want you guys to do video journals and see what you look like to your child. See if, if you're a teenager who wanted to avoid being uncomfortable, why wouldn't you try to manipulate your parent, especially when they're so reactive and so emotional? Kids can say things like, why are you freaking out? Chill. You know, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. I just want to go hang out with my friends. Like I can do my homework later. I don't want you guys to be held hostage by your kids' emotions. Because if you've ever had a dog, if you let them jump all over the couch as a puppy, if you let them jump on people coming over, and I got, I got one big dog. If I were to let my 85-pound, very muscular dog jump on people that came over, run all the couch, my couch would look like freaking there's berms all over it, just, just, just tracks on it all over it. And no one would want to come over to my house because my dog would knock them over. You could hurt someone, especially if they're a little kid. So instead, you listen to someone like Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. You get online, you read some dog, uh, you know, some dog advice things. You get a personal dog trainer, and you'll find the same principles exist. They have to know you are in charge, and they have to willingly submit to your authority because you're not trying to wield authority. You're not being an authoritarian. You're not making it personal. But then again, you're not being a doormat either and letting them walk all over you because we all know we don't respect that one friend in our friend group that is too passive. That's like a doormat. We may like them. We may love them and we may respect certain parts about them, but we're not going to admire them and look up to them for them being a doormat and for them being easily walked over. Just like we're not going to admire and respect someone who's always talking down to us, who's always being emotional and reacting. If you want your kids to not be a victim, you can't be a victim to their emotions and their reactions. Well, you guys, hopefully that information gives you a little bit of a, a little bit of a nudge, a little bit of a boost in your parenting and your thoughts. And uh, that website that I was reading that from is signsofpeople.com. And the title again was Victim Mentality, Signs, Causes, and 10 Ways to Break the Cycle by Rosie Levine. So go ahead and check that out and also check out others. There's great content online. There's great content from other podcasts, but I just want to let you guys know victim mentality can be unlearned because they had to learn it somewhere. Now, of course, my disclaimer, if your child has really been traumatized, had some real things that made them a victim in the past, um, lots of betrayal and stuff like that. Um, well, even like even more severe, because I don't think there's as much betrayal from a six in a sixth grade situation, a seventh, eighth grade situation. But if they have been actually victimized, hurt, maybe abused throughout their life. Some of what I said is like some of the things I would suggest you do or would still be the same, but I'm not referring to that. So this advice and this suggestion is not tailored for those types of kids. It's tailored for the typical privileged kid who's been enabled, their parents worked really hard because they grew up rough and they wanted to make their kid's life easy. And the problem is they overshot the goal. They made it too easy. Now it's harder on the parents. Well, until next time, you guys, remember you can follow us on OG.therapy on Instagram. You can follow me at David underscore K-O-Z-L-O-W-S-K-I underscore on Instagram. You can also, if you want extra, over two years of extra content, 
on um, a paywall. It's a $5 a month. It's called Patreon. You can go to www.patreon.com backslash OG therapy. And on YouTube, we haven't posted too many videos on YouTube in a while, but we got a bunch of videos up there. You can go check those out. Um, and that is going to be on OG therapy on, on uh, YouTube. The reason why I suggest people go to Patreon because all those are, are videos. Um, every single one of the episodes, like the episode I'm doing right now, um, you can watch the video of that uh, on, on Patreon. I don't know why I do this. I mean, if I thought about it more, I probably could tell you why. But the reality of it is, is I like to watch my podcast on YouTube. I like to... I. I I subscribe to Patreon to, for a couple different people. I like to watch their podcasts as well. For some reason, you know, I'm all about facial expressions, the social connections. It's just my preferred way. So if you're like that as well, $5 a month, you just got to go to the, the site I told you about, www.patreon.com backslash OG therapy. Well, until next time, guys. Oh, my dog just came in my studio. What's up, guys? How you doing? You want to say I'll say hi and goodbye to all the listeners. Oh, don't do that. You're going to my, unplug my system. I was talking about you today on the podcast. My big dog's name is Sancho. My little dog is Miss Piggy. Until next time, you guys, be cool. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.